Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Sometimes parents, we just fail at advice. I remember my mom when I was a kid. She used to give me good advice too late. Think about it. Good advice too late. Like when I was a kid, I hit my head on the corner of the table. Careful! Imagine kids not whining. No screaming fits or squeals. When they don't get the toy they want In their happy meals Imagine all the parents Burning down Chuck E. Cheese God gave me this song they just make up games like they want to hurt themselves. They do. I'm like out in the backyard one time, my son comes out, hey dad, throw that brick at me and see if I can get out of the way. Great. Damn, it's called dodge brick, it's great. Fling one right at my head and don't tell me when you throw it. I'll try to listen for the wind. Don't you judge me. Because it wasn't until that brick left my hand, I was thinking, this is probably not a good idea. <laughs> Careful! <laughs> yeah. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Persh. I'm the youth pastor here at Cross Lane, and um, this morning we're going to talk about parenting. So we're going to see what Scripture has to, to tell us about this this morning. Um, imagine with me, if you would, if you were given a check for $50,000. Most of us never have been given or ever will be given a check for $50,000. And yet statistics bear out in the 2010 data that the average family in Vigo County will earn $51,800 this year. It's a lot of money. Now imagine with me if you were going to be given 3,000 hours a year to spend with your family, specifically with your kids. Most of us have maybe said at one point or another, man, I wish I had more time to spend with my kids. And the, the, the reality is we're given 3,000 unscheduled hours every year to spend with our kids. So the question is, how do we spend that time with our family? So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, we're going to dive into to Nehemiah. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. If you brought your Bibles, you can be opening up to that. We'll have the scripture up here on the screens for you. Um, Nehemiah is rich, uh, is a rich uh, text, as is most scripture, that deals with a lot of leadership stuff. I know Brett's taught about Nehemiah before, and it, it's just a gold mine. But we're going to see what kind of parenting uh, principles we can kind of get out of that this morning. So in Nehemiah, I'm going to give you just a little bit of history about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, his hometown was Jerusalem. He's from Jerusalem, but he's living in another, in another city. He, he, he is a cupbearer to a king. 
And, and that is a very trusted position because he's the cupbearer. He's the guy that gets to taste the food and drink from the cup before the king does to make sure it's not poison. So that's a, maybe a crazy job to have, but that's a job that he had and that you needed to be a very trusted. The king needed to trust you to have that job. And so um, Nehemiah is there. Someone comes back to where he's at, had just visited Jerusalem, and Nehemiah inquires, you know, how's Jerusalem? And, and he, he hears the report that, that Jerusalem is in ruins. The wall around the, the city had been uh, destroyed. That was the protection to the city. It, and the city was in ruins. It, it, it broke Nehemiah's heart. So he wants to try to help. He wants to go back to Jerusalem and, and figure out how to help. And, and because he's in the position that he's in, he, he, he starts off by just praying, God, you know. He, he covers his trip in prayer. And then he asks the king, hey, can I go? And the king, he finds favor with the king. The king sends him on his way with some supplies and some men. And he makes his way back to Jerusalem. And he sets out to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now, the wall around Jerusalem was eight feet thick. After they rebuilt it, it was estimated to be eight feet thick at the base of this wall. The wall was 20, somewhere between 20 to 30 feet high. And it was two miles around, around the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is not rebuilding this wall on his own. Okay, he needs help. He needs a, he, he's covered his trip in prayer. And he prays all throughout the journey, his, his, uh, his journey to rebuild this wall. But, but he needs a good strategy. And he needs people. He needs help. And so if you read in chapter 3, it, chapter 3 is titled The Builders of the Wall. Chapter 3 is, it tells you who helped Nehemiah build this wall. And it was families. It was priests. But it was family after family after family after family. You can, you can read that. We're not going to dive into that one this morning. But he needed a lot of help to get this done. And so in Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And um, we'll just dive right in here. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are rebuilding, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Okay, so Nehemiah sets out on his journey in, in prayer and covers his whole time rebuilding the wall in prayer, but he faces criticism and opposition to, to rebuilding this wall. And sometimes as parents, you know, we face criticism from ourselves. We're, you know, we're, we are our own worst critic sometimes, but we, we can face criticism from our parents. You're not doing it how I taught you to do it. Or from our kids. Certainly our kids will criticize us from time to time. And, and even maybe other relatives. So he, he, he starts out, he gets a lot of criticism and, and opposition to rebuilding this wall. Verse 4. Nehemiah says, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. 
and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near, the, uh, near, lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your people, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And so Nehemiah begins his journey with prayer. He, he develops a strategy. How are we going to get the, re, the wall rebuilt? He, he employs families to help him. And so we're just going to see, we're going to kind of try to mine out some nuggets for our parenting um, skills here out of this text this morning. And the first, I'm going to give you five principles that we're going to talk about. The first one is, imagine the end. Imagine the end. Like Nehemiah, we must have a good strategy for our, for our parenting. Strategy will help us with our parenting. So how do we want our kids to turn out? When, you know, when they're 18 or 20 or 37 and they move out of the house, how do we want them to be? What kind of people do we want them to be? And um, a, a good strategy will help, the, uh, help us with this, and we must imagine the end. You know, I, I've built a couple of playhouses um, as a, a parent one was for my house. I had a couple of guys help me build one out back behind the church here this last summer. And the, the one out back here, it, it had almost 200 boards. And there are some guys in the room, I know, that could take 200 boards and a bunch of screws and put them together without any instructions and make a pretty cool playhouse. I probably couldn't do that. I need instructions, a picture. I need, I need to see the end product to know what, what is it supposed to look like. And, and so even while I was building it, I'm, I would make a mistake, and there's detailed pictures all throughout this instruction manual. What was really cool was on the front of the box was a full-color end, end result picture of what the playhouse is supposed to be. And there were a couple times where I'm, I can't figure something out, and I'm looking at the, the, what I've got done and looking at the picture, and it doesn't match up, and so I'd take it apart and figure out what I did wrong and redo it. But having that picture of the end product really helped me to see where I was going. And so as parents, we need to imagine what do we want our kids uh, to be when they grow up? How do we want them to turn out? And God, God gives us a goal with parenting. God gives us a goal with, with parenting. Um, Jesus, in Scripture, when Jesus walked the earth, there was no New Testament, hadn't been written yet. The Old Testament is, is more than half uh, of the Bible that we have today. And, and Jesus, Jesus knew his, he, he knew it. He had it memorized. He knew it by heart, and, and, but there's a lot of text there. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, you know it's, there's some weighty stuff there, cool stories, but a lot of genealogy and a lot of stuff that you're like, who wants to memorize that? Well, the, they, the, the religious leaders of the day were trying to trip Jesus up, and they said, Jesus, can you sum up the Old Testament? Can you tell us, just, you know, be concise about it. What does it mean to you? And he says, That's, I can do that. He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor. And if we want nothing else for our kids, we want our kids to grow up as Christian parents. We want our kids to grow up and love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want them to love their neighbor. And, and if, we, if we can get our kids to do that, that th those two things, a lot, of, a lot of the other stuff will kind of fall into place as they, as they figure out how to love God with all their heart and love their neighbors. 
We want our kids, our kids to grow up and be like that. So imagine the end for your kids. How do you want them to turn out? That's the first principle. The second one is create a rhythm. Create a rhythm. We, we must create a healthy rhythm in our, in our daily, weekly, and monthly routines for our kids and our families. Annie Dillard is an author. She has a quote that says, how you spend your days is, of course, how you spend your life. How you spend your days is, of course, how you spend your life. And we say, well, how did my life turn out this way? Or how is my life going to turn out? Or I didn't expect it to turn out this way. Well, how did you spend your days? Because you, you, you say, this is what I want for my life, but you live your, your days in a way that's not going to get you to how you want your life to turn out. So how you spend your days is, of course, how you spend your life. And then Andy Stanley has a quote from his book, The Principle of the Path. Um, it, he, he says, it's direction not intention that determines destination. It's direction, not intention, that determines destination. Because we intend to do lots of things, right? We intend to clean the garage. We intend to, you know, paint a room in the house. We intend to um, spend more time with the kids. But we don't always accomplish those things, right? So our intentions do not determine where we go. Our direction does. So how do we get our kids on a good path for life? How do we get our kids on a good path for life? We insist that our kids, you know, brush their teeth and that they eat right. And we set, we try to set healthy traditions for our families. You, you, you celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas a certain way. You, you, you do family reunions. You, you set tr- family traditions up in an effort to set your kids on a good path for their lives. A couple questions for you guys this morning. What is missing from your routine? What's missing from your routine? As parents, you are the primary influence in your kids' lives. Whether you feel like that or not, you are. You're the primary influence in your kids' lives, and, and, and they, they will emulate you. And, and what's missing from your routine? Are you spending time with God daily in your routine as a, as a, as a parent and as a family? Are you setting that example for your kids? What do you do daily? What do you do monthly, uh, daily, weekly, and monthly? to model this for your kids. And then the flip side of that is, what do you need to delete from your routine? We live in a culture of busyness. I, I really believe that this is, God did not intend us to live in, in, the way American culture is today. God did not intend for us to, to be this busy all the time. And, and I have a soapbox that I, I'm going to get on here, so don't, don't be mad at me. I just, we as parents... Professional athletes don't play more than one sport a year, and we as parents have our kids in soccer in the spring, soccer in the fall, baseball in the summer, basketball in the winter. It's crazy. And and on top of work and on top of the things that you want to do as a parent, the places you volunteer, and we think the only time you sat down together and had a meal that you can remember recently, you were so busy just trying to get the meal together and get the kids shuttled off into the van, and it's like the culture of busyness is ruining the families. I think, in America today. So what do we need to delete from our routines? Just evaluate. I'm just asking for you to evaluate as parents the amount of time that you're spending with God and the quality of time. Because I can't, I can't sit up here and say, if you only spend 10 minutes a day praying and 10 minutes in Scripture, then your life will all work out. That's, that's what God wants. Because God, you know, God doesn't give us a, a prescription 
on how, what's the right amount of time. Just evaluate the amount of time that you personally spend with God every day. Are you teaching and leading your kids in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? And, and evaluate the quality of time. And I, I'm not a Bible reading plan person. There's, there's a 90-day plan. There's a six-month plan, a, a, year, a year plan to read through Scripture. I, 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 that's not me. Maybe that's you. I just think some people would have a tendency to to set that as a goal, and it's good to have goals, but you, you, sometimes you, you get behind or you, you, you would get to feeling guilty. Well, I, I didn't read yesterday, so now I've got to read twice as much, and you, you just read it to read it. You're not reading it to, to let it saturate into your soul. So just evaluate the amount of time that you personally uh, and corporately as a family are spending with God daily, weekly, monthly, and create, healthy, uh, create a healthy rhythm for your, for your family. The third thing is make it personal. Make it personal. Make your relationship with, with, with God and Jesus personal. It is said that the, the Sunday edition of the New York Times has more information in it today than the average person in the 19th century would have learned in a lifetime. We live in an information age. We have more information at our fingertips today than at any other point in history. And, and it's exponentially increasing. What do we do with that? The, 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 there's some statistics that say you're going to spend the next uh, five months of the next year listening to or watching media. Newspaper, radio, internet, TV, t-shirts, billboards, movies, media, whatever. Five months of the next year. And how much of that do you remember? You know, we, at, our, at our house, we have an open concept kitchen living room thing and um, so we can spend, you know, you're always in the kitchen cooking, the kids are watching TV or whatever, you can still be together. And we'll have the news on the TV, and, you know, I, how much do you, are you paying attention? You tune most of it out, right? You, you tune most of it out. You're, the the, earth, the uh, floods that happened in Pakistan, you hear about it, but it's just like, oh, you know, no big deal. Sucks to be them, but it's not a huge thing for you in your life. But a block down the road... A fire happens or someone, somebody's house gets broken into and you're like, honey, did you hear about that? This happened a block away or you may even know the people and why do we care? What's the difference? It's more personal. The thing that happens close to home is more personal for us. So many of you guys, I think it's good to say that, uh, fair to say that, that um, a good chunk of you maybe went to church as a kid when you were growing up and maybe even made a decision to follow Jesus as a kid. But you really didn't understand or you really didn't start living your life for Jesus fully until you became an adult because you, it just clicks that you understand. It, it became more personal. Something happened. You matured. You got away from your, your parents' faith and your faith became your own. And we do that because it became more personal. So, so the question then begs us, how do we transfer our, our faith to our kids? Because as Christian parents, we, wanna, we want our kids to grow up and love Jesus, right? How do we transfer our faith to our kids? The reality is we can't make our kids want what we want for them, can we? Moms and dads. We can't make our kids want what we want for them. So we have to be passionate about our faith as adults. We have to pour into ourselves. My kids have to see that my faith is really powerful in my life, and that'll help them understand. If, we can, if, we can, if it can be done, that's the way we transfer our faith to our kids, or at least a piece of the, of the puzzle. 
We have to be passionate about our faith. You have to attend to the fires of your faith. So think about the time when in your life have you felt closest to God? It's going to be different for everybody. It could be a camp or a conference. It could be church on Sunday morning. Get to come and sing and, and, and worship through song and learning and hear, hear a message preached. Some of you, it's, it's praying. For some of you, it's a hike through Turkey Run, hike through the woods. It's different for everybody. But when do you personally feel closest to God? Whatever that answer is for you, make time for that in your life. You have to attend to the fires of your faith. Because if you don't, your, your kids will see that. You will choke God, your relationship with God, out of your life. Your kids will notice. You know, if, if, if coming to church is, is well, we, we, we were running all day Saturday, and we're pretty tired, so today's a sleep-in morning. You, you know, you might, you might come once a month or uh, whatever your cycle is. Your, your kids see that. Your kids pick up on that. Church is very important. So, so attend to the fires of your faith. Your kids will see that. They will understand, man, that really means something to mom and dad. Fourth thing is fight for the heart. We must fight for the hearts of our kids. When is a time in your life when your dreams have been dashed? For most of us, maybe not everybody, but at some point in our lives, our dreams were probably dashed. We probably compromised or gave up on them. For me, I, I'm going to get a pity all here because I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. Let me, oh, yeah, thank you. I'm not a Fairweather fan. I love the Chicago Cubs since 1984. My grandma was a Chicago Cubs fan. Uh, I was 10 years old, started playing baseball back here at Terrytown, and I loved baseball. I wanted to be Ryan Sandberg, the greatest second baseman in history, okay, arguably. But that's, that was my hero. I wanted to be Ryan Sandberg. I wanted to play second base for the Chicago Cubs. I was pretty good. I, I made the all-star team most years over here at Terrytown. But, and, and so that was my dream. At some point around 15 or 16, I realized that's not going to happen. I, I, did, I, don't, I didn't think I had the, the, the uh, talent uh, athletically to be able to make it. Um, I probably could have played collegiate baseball if I worked really hard. Um, I doubt I could have made major league. But, but the, probably the main reason was... Um, mom's mom. I had to work, and I had to. If I wanted to have a car, I had to have a job, and I had to. I had to contribute to that, and money became really important. And so I gave up on my dream to become a, a, a baseball player for the Chicago Cubs. So our, our dreams, we give up on our dreams, we compromise on our dreams, we stop chasing our dreams. The characters in Scripture never settled or gave up on their, their dream, or, or gave up on what, what they believed that God had something, had something in store for them. Joseph is one of these people. Joseph never gave up on his dream of following God. The guy, was, the guy was beaten up by his brothers and sold into slavery, and he was still open to what God had uh, for him. He was accused of rape and thrown into prison and, and got, got rescued out of prison by a king. And, and ended up being second in charge in the, in the whole land and, and, and saving a lot of people because he had great advice and he followed God's dream for his life. His characters never, all through Scripture, never give up on, on what um, their lives, what God had in store for their lives. And so we must do that. So, so how, the question is, how, 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 how has our mind and heart closed from the things that God wants for us? I think lots of times we get criticized Maybe, maybe our parents criticize us a lot. Maybe it's our, our, our parent, uh, 
people that we work with criticize us a lot, and that can, we have a tendency to, to close off our hearts to not only people around us, but to our relationship with God as an antiseptic. Um, maybe you're stuck in a bad job and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You don't understand how God's going to use you where you're at and so your heart becomes closed to the things that God has in store for you. Maybe as a kid, your parents fought a lot. Maybe as a dad right now, you're, you're stuck in a marriage and you're losing the battle for your marriage and you're so focused on the wreck that it is that you're, you're, you're not engaging your daughter in that relationship, the father-daughter relationship. So when we disengage as parents, our kids interpret that as rejection. If you disengage for whatever reason, if you're self-absorbed, if you feel crushed, you, and you disengage as a parent, your kids interpret that as rejection. Our kids need to know that we are pursuing them, that we are fighting for their hearts. And so one way that, that Lori and I do this is we have date nights with our kids. I've got a daughter who's 11, Abby, and, and a son who's 9, Noah, and we've done this several times where we take our kids out on a date for a couple reasons. Um, I'll, I'll go around to the front door on date night, knock on the door, and Abby will come to the door, and I'm all dolled up, you know, looking like I look. And um, <laughs> I ask permission to take my daughter out on a date, and I go around and open up the car door for her, and, wh- and I take her to dinner, and I pay and I, while, we're, while we're having our dinner. Uh, I look her in the eye and I have a conversation with her. And it's, and it, and it's more than surf, surface level. How was school today? You can have a deeper conversation than that with your kids. And what that shows is that I care about my kids and I, I'm investing in them and I'm fighting for her heart. And hopefully she'll look back on this time when she's older and think, man, that was pretty cool. And, and while I'm doing that, Lori's doing the same thing with Noah. And I'll try to give Noah some advice. You know, open up the car door. Be a gentleman. Let her go first. Pay for the dinner. Um, <laughs> the other thing is that, that as a result of that is that Abby will understand dating. She will understand how a guy is supposed to treat her. And when some slug takes her out on a date and doesn't treat her like he's supposed to be treated, treated she can boot him to the curb, right? She will understand. So there's a couple of values in doing that, but that's just one way that, that we as parents try to invest in our kids. Jesus kept his heart open to God all the time. He was criticized by Pharisees. He was criticized by the elders and leaders of the day. And yet, he kept his heart open to God and did some amazing, amazing things. So keep your hearts open to God. Um, Fight for the hearts of your children. And life sucks sometimes. Invest and fight for your kids. Okay, so the last, the last principle is, excuse me, widen the circle. We must widen the circle of the influence in our kids' lives. And there's another video that we're going to show you um, that will help me set this up. So take a watch. Here's the deal. I think anybody with kids, I don't care how many kids you have, I think you just need help. You know, <laughs> like that lady over there right now. You need help. <laughs> I think if you've got kids, you do. You just need help. I don't need health care from the government. I want a nanny. I want the super nanny. You ever seen the super nanny? Anybody seen that show? It's the best show ever. The super nanny is where this English nanny comes over and helps these demonic possessed children from America. And they're just like, and she never loses her cool. She's like, no, Thomas, no. 
We don't do that, Thomas, no. What do you mean you just knocked your mother out cold with a pot? That's not what we do. We don't do that. I'm very disappointed, Thomas. I'm going to have to get harsh. You heard me, harsh. I hate to do this to you, but go sit on the naughty mat. You heard me, the naughty mat. I'm sitting at home going, there's got to be more than that. I mean, is that where he sits? Will you find something to beat him with? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Because I don't know how you were raised. I was raised a little bit different than that. My mom would tell me what she's going to do to me. I'm going to beat the snot out of you. You hear me? I'm going to beat the snot out of you. I'm going to hit your head so hard, snot flies out of the front of your skull. It's going to be awesome. When she was really mad, she beat the living snot. I'm going to beat the living snot out of you. Your snot's going to have a respiratory system when I beat it out of your head. It's alive! She was right! Oh, she was detailed. I'm going to spin your head off like a lid on a pickle jar. I'm going to take my leather belt with my name on it. I'm going to beat you and brand you at the same time. I'm like, Mom, you're the worst mommy in the world. No, I took second last year. I'm going for first this year. I won't have it. I won't have it. I won't have it. That was her phrase. I won't have it. I won't have it. What, what are you not going to have? It. She'd spank me. One time she spanked me for something I didn't even do. You think she apologized? She's like, that's for something you'll do later. Are you saying I have a spank account? Think you're bouncing checks, you weirdo. Oh, uh, who knew snot could be funny? He said at the beginning of that, I need help as a parent. We talked about the super nanny. But um, parenting can be overwhelming, right? Parents, can I get an amen? amen. Parenting can be overwhelming. Two-year-olds can be strong-willed, and they graduate to the playground of school, come home with scraped knees and bloody noses, and they graduate to the terrible teens. We thought the terrible twos were bad, but when nobody told us about the terrible teens, but the terrible teens showed up, and parenting can be overwhelming. Now, we need partners, we need partners. We have grandparents can partner with us. There are teachers that can partner with us at, at their schools. Sport, uh, sporting coaches can be our partners. But have we ever thought of having a spiritual partner in raising our kids? How many of us have ever thought of having a spiritual partner? Churches can help. There's three ways that churches can help partner with you uh, spiritually and otherwise to, to raise your kids, to help you raise your kids. And, and number one, I think that the first way that a church can help is to provide resources for you as a parent. I, I am a resource for you uh, as a youth pastor here. I, I don't stand up here and pretend to have it all put together. My mom and dad are here and they could tell stories and my kids could tell stories and we, that's why they're not invited up. 
this morning. Okay, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, and I will make mistakes. But I am a resource. I have, I have two of my own kids. Uh, I work with a lot of kids throughout the week. And um, I, there's a lot of resources that have been placed at my fingertips. I study and learn and grow and, and try to become a resource for you as parents. So use me. Use me. Brett is an amazing dad. Brett and Myra are amazing parents. The elders here at our church have, have kids, have raised kids, and have lots of experience that you can draw upon as parents. There are a lot of other parents in the room, just, just the, the body of Christ that can, that can be a resource to you as a parent. So use them. Use them. The other resource that the, the churches can provide is um, on the, the website. The, uh, if you go to www.underrowers.com, that's the website for the youth here at Cross Lane. Um, there's, it's mostly for kids, but there's two uh, links out there for parents. And, from, and there's all kinds of stuff out there, Par- uh, articles on parenting, the latest trends in youth culture, what, what, are they, what movies are they watching, who, who are the musicians that they're listening to that are popular right now, um, what, you know, what is Facebook, and all, just all kinds of stuff. Uh, that you can use as a parent to, to be a resource. So, so go there, check it out, underrowers.com. So churches can provide resources for you. The second thing that churches can provide are peers that are running in the same direction as your kids. We, you know, the kids that come to church here that go to youth group, um, there are a lot of good kids, and, and they're doing a lot of cool things, and they're working on their relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're, they're running in a direction that I think you as a, a parent would, as a Christian parent, would want your kids to run in. If your kid doesn't come to youth group or doesn't have friends in the youth group, who are their friends and what direction are those friends running in? Do you know? There's a lot of good kids that don't come to church, but they're not chasing hard after Jesus. What are they chasing hard after? So churches can provide peers that are running in the same direction. Now, I'm just going to say it. Some of you may disagree, and that's okay. I believe that, that you should have your kids plugged into youth group, not so that I have the biggest youth group in town, but because we're going to have a lot of fun along the way, and, and I'll, I'll even be boring from time to time because I'm not Superman. Nobody can be that. But your kids should come to youth group. And, and our kids manipulate us, right? Our kids have figured out how to manipulate us. I was a master at it. My mom still doesn't know all this bad stuff that I've done. No, just kidding. But our kids manipulate us. We, um, they, they're, you know, they're going to say, well, I don't have any friends in youth group. Well, no kidding, you don't go to youth group. You, you, but go to youth group, you'll make friends, right? Just if you spend a couple weeks there, you'll make friends. Uh, it's boring. I don't want to go. Well, yeah, it might be boring sometimes, but I'm going to knock myself out to have fun. Uh, we have a lot of fun in youth group. We take a lot of cool trips, but we teach about Jesus, we're going to teach from Scripture. We're going to teach your kids the things uh, that we think the Bible wants us to know. And so it's, I just think it's super important that you get your kids plugged in. Don't let your kids manipulate you. You're the parent. When your kids are 18, they can move out, and they don't have to go to church if they want to go to church. And, and that can cause conflict, I understand. But, man, pour into them as, as Christians. Make them go to church. Church is the body of Christ. The church was established for a reason. We need it. Make your kids go. Churches, the third thing that, that churches can provide are other adults who, who are working with your kids and saying the same thing that you as parents are going to say. 
you're, 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 you know, you've, you've told your kids for 10 years, 100 times something, and they come to church or go to soccer practice or something, and, they're, and they hear the same thing, and they come home, and mom, you won't believe, but the coach said this, and Orion said this, and you're like, well, hello, I've been telling you that for 10 years, you know? The church provides that. We, when, we, when we have youth group, we will teach a lesson. But they, they get a small group uh, adult mentor, adult uh, leader. So, they, so we'll teach a lesson. The guys get a, a male, and they go off and do small group. The girls get a female. They go off and do small group. And they're going to talk about the lesson that they just heard. They're going to talk about things that come up in the kids', in the kids daily lives. And, and that those adults are praying for your kids and pouring into your kids. And sometimes they're going to say, the same thing that you as a parent are saying and just reinforce it, reinforce it, reinforce it. And you could have problems. Uh, you could be having a certain problem w- with, your, with your child at home, whatever it is. You can go and talk to your child's youth sponsor or myself and say, hey, do you ever teach on this? Does this ever come up? It might come up in small group nine times out of ten if you're dealing with a problem at home. We've, we're going to teach about it from a biblical perspective on how the kids can deal with it. So, so if you have your kids involved in youth group and don't know your child's youth coach very well, get to know them. Go introduce yourself. Talk to them a little bit. Um, pick their brain. Tell them, hey, we've been really struggling with this thing at home. Can, you, can that come up? Yeah. It's just reinforcing, reinforcing. So the Christian faith is not meant to be lived in isolation, but in community. So parents, take some time to get to know those small group leaders and myself. And so we have, number one, imagine the end. Imagine how do you want your kids' lives to turn out? How do you want them to be when they grow up? Create a healthy rhythm in your, in your daily, weekly, monthly lives as parents and add God into that routine. Make your faith personal. Attend to the fires of your faith so that it overflows out into your families. Always, always, always fight for the heart of your kids. Never give up on them. Don't get so self-absorbed in, in what's going on in your life that you forget to take care of your kids and, and invest in them. And widen the circle of influence in your kids' lives. Like Nehemiah, bathe it in prayer. Bathe your, we didn't talk a lot about prayer today, but that's a huge part of it. Pray, 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 pray. Invest in a good strategy, which what we've talked about today. And uh, let's try to be good parents. Okay, let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for Scripture, for stories like Nehemiah uh, that we can uh, dive into and, and uh, mine out some nuggets. What are you trying to teach us? What are the people that you want us to become? God, most of us, our parents, have been parents or will be parents, and we need help. We don't get an instruction manual. It's hard. It's confusing. And yet, um, you have provided resources for us. Scripture, prayer, the church, other people that can stand in the gaps in the holes of our parenting skills. We don't have it all figured out. We're going to make mistakes, and that's why we need other people to come along beside us. So, God, we, we pray. I pray for the parents that, uh, this morning that you give them, give them uh, wisdom as they parent their kids. Encourage them as they encounter hard times. Um, Help them to be the parents that their kids need them to be, God. Uh, We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.